Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This show is sponsored by Comark, a global provider of innovative software products and business services. Comark's platform is used by leading brands across all industries to drive their customer loyalty. Powered by AI and machine learning, Comark technologies allow you to build, run, and manage personalized loyalty programs and product offers with ease. For more information, please visit comark.com. Hello and welcome to episode 333 of Let's Talk Loyalty. Today, we're staying close to home and meeting a marketing thought leader based here in the UAE for her perspectives on driving customer loyalty. Maria Gedeon describes herself as a retail, destinations and entertainment executive with 20 years experience building global brands here in the Middle East and North Africa. Maria is also a board member of the Marketing Society here in the UAE, and she has worked on a number of high-profile loyalty programs in this country. As well as her passion for brands and sustainability, my favorite insight was when Maria shared her belief in the importance of customer performance indicators. Instead of the purely corporate-focused key performance indicators or KPIs that many of us use. I really loved this idea as something every loyalty marketeer listening today could be thinking about. I found the article Maria mentioned explaining this concept of CPIs. So you'll find the link to that article and to Maria's profile in our show notes for today's episode. And as always, we include any relevant links in our emails. So please make sure you're signed up to our newsletters for the easiest way to find them. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Maria Gedeon, CEO of Gedeon Moore and Partners. So Maria Gedeon, welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you, Paula. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to have you here, Maria. I think from my very first time, actually, when I joined the Marketing Society is when uh, when we first met. And uh, you were so welcoming and introduced me to loads of people, certainly even within loyalty immediately, which I wasn't even expecting. So, um, so we have loads in common, including your entrepreneurial background. So a lot to talk about today, uh, both in terms of, I guess, loyalty in the UAE, which is uh, a topic that we're both uh, personally, I suppose, interested in as consumers as well as professionals. Um, But more interestingly, I think sustainability is definitely a key passion topic for you, Maria. So want to see your thoughts on sustainability and its role in driving loyalty for consumers and brands. So before we get into all of those meaty topics, Maria, as you know, we always like to start our show asking our guests about their personal favorite loyalty program as marketing (laughs) professionals. So let's kick off with that question. Tell us. 
Sure. So uh, look, as a marketing professional, I personally like a program that enables me to have a better experience, a program that understands a little bit about me, but also makes sure that some of the pain points in a journey are kind of eliminated and my overall experience is, is elevated. In general, I found that hotels and airlines do that very well. Uh, some of them are still a little bit more traditional, but you know the fact that they understand what a consumer or a customer has to go through and they always make sure that it's elevated means that you know they kind of have me in their pocket <laughs> to a certain degree. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think one that I particularly like, or I, I like, I like. I like two. I like Skywards and Etihad guests that do things very well. They both have their pros and cons, but having been a, having moved from Abu Dhabi a few years ago, I am a lot more uh, accustomed with this, with Skywards. Yeah. I think overall, we're very fortunate in the UAE to have a level of customer experience that we can't find anywhere else, especially in hospitality and travel. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, in general, I, I like these two programs. And Etihad, I think, is investing a little bit more uh, in ESG and sustainability as well. And I think, you yeah. know, even in their program, they they use this line that they encourage customers to fly high with a lower carbon footprint, for example. So I think yeah. that also plays very well with me because it somehow yeah. protects the planet. <laughs> totally, totally. There's a lot to be said, Maria. You're absolutely right. First of all, we are spoiled rotten in the UAE. Mm -hmm. So to have such, um, I suppose, such luxury experiences, um, even without the loyalty programs, dare I say it, like Emirates and Etihad are both world-class airlines. So their core product, I think, is exceptional. And I think as marketing professionals, the important thing is no loyalty program, as we know, can ever compensate if the core product is not already a good experience. So I know that's something you're very passionate about as well. What I tend to feel is you're absolutely right. We've had both of the, the airlines on the show here from a loyalty perspective specifically. And Etihad definitely has their conscious choices program. So sustainability is, is front and center. And I think we'll get into a, a conversation about exactly why that is obviously being seen as a differential and I think sometimes the fact that they're a smaller airline makes them a little bit more agile, actually, so they can execute on something like that. So, but, you know, at the same time, Emirates does such an exceptional job in terms of delighting us. And uh, I've often said on this show, Skywards is my favorite program. So it's, um, yeah, it's exciting times. And I think UAE, in fact, particularly, we're quite lucky in how much is going on, in fact, in the loyalty space. So, You've been involved um, in various different roles, Maria, as a chief marketing officer, for example, for some of the biggest retail groups. So why don't you start by giving us a bit of background of your maybe career in general? And then I know there's four specific UAE loyalty programs that I'd love to give our listeners just a little bit of insight on today. Yeah, of course. So I started my career as an entrepreneur. I, I started by building a small experiential company and event company when I was 18. Uh, and um, I did that for a few years. And then I moved to Abu Dhabi uh, mm -hmm. in 2006 to work on the World Future Energy Summit. Uh, and I was fortunate to work with 
global leaders, president offices. I mean, we had Al Gore at the conference, Prince Charles there by hologram. And I think wow. it was really <laughs> the start of this entire sustainability and renewable energy uh, yeah. agenda. I think it was a couple of months later, Abu Dhabi launched IRENA and, you know, the movement towards a more sustainable future yeah. really kicked off in, in the UAE and this part of the world. Um, after after that, I actually moved to a Mubadala subsidiary to manage mm -hmm. a an asset that is very close to my heart and it's called Zayed Sports City. Uh, they have 1.2 million square meters of sports facilities. Uh, they're very strong at building the community, bringing people together to lead a, and have a healthier lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, I did that for a few years. We had a very, very boutique loyalty program called Ahlan wa Sahlan to drive a better nice. experience and to drive engagement and frequency. And I think that also is very particular to sports. But when you're a fan of a sport and you like your community and you like your club, then, you yeah. know, it's easier on the club to be driving that loyalty than it would be for yeah. entertainment, for example. Totally. So after doing seven years with Mubadala and Zayed Sport City, I joined uh, Majid Al Futaim. Mm -hmm. uh, I was the marketing director for the uh, entertainment arm. So uh, we had a, a program called Vox Rewards for Cinemas mm -hmm. Alone. It was a fairly traditional uh, loyalty program where, you know, the more you come to the cinema and the more you purchase cinema tickets, uh, then the, the the more you can buy. I think with your points, that would maybe equal every nine trips to the cinema, you could get like a free ticket. Cool. Uh, yeah. for your um, and then... Uh, Majid al Futim as a whole, uh, especially holding, decided that with the amount of brands that they have as, and their golden customer record of over 10 million customers, wow. it made sense to create a loyalty program that yeah. combined the different brands in the Majid al Futim portfolio. And yeah. this is where Share was actually born. It's, it's also a, a, a a program that's very, very close to my heart. Yeah. Um, I supported the share team uh, at Holding that is led by Kashmira, who also worked on Skywards, yeah. um, who did a phenomenal job at bringing all of the best practice, all of the learnings, the absolute yeah. best technology, the absolute best people to really, truly build probably one of the most complex loyalty programs I've seen, yeah. given the sheer difference between the brands and the industries so and that goes from retail to home to beauty to entertainment to yeah. leisure cinemas groceries and obviously your cdp has to be different across the different brands and the yeah. complexity of making a consumer understand the relationship between these brands yeah. um, was was fairly challenging but they did such a good job that it ensured that, you know, the, the lifetime value of a Majid al customer yeah. increased quite substantially. And they, they used the data to make informed decisions. And they're very, very good at listening to their, their customers, yeah. which also meant that there were always continuous improvements on the programs. Yeah. That also meant that, you know, they were releasing a lot of upgrades on the app and their platforms uh, with time. Um, and I think... You know, they, they did a phenomenal job. And and after 
my journey with Masha Dufutem, which was extremely fulfilling and probably, yeah. uh, you know, a, a, phenom- a fantastic job I've had. I moved to the Shalhoub Group, the largest luxury retail group in, in this part of the world. Yeah. They also have had a challenging journey with loyalty in general, because, I mean, they sell luxury, right? Yeah. And the benefits are luxury are really intangible, right? And often loyalty programs could be associated with promotions or discounts. And they wanted yeah. to offer a world-class lifestyle program that was more about the surprise and the delight and the value that you get that isn't necessarily a financial value. Yeah. Uh, and I think um I think the the program from a, a look and feel from a launch from a positioning point of view is truly unique especially mm-hmm. for the region uh we've seen so many luxury retail programs uh, uh rise and fall in the last few years because they didn't really manage to yeah give you that incrementality from a value perspective as a consumer yeah and a lot of them were treating everybody the same and no two humans are the same right so i think yeah that was the beauty of the muse program is that they were really looking at their yeah. segmentation at uh individualized marketing and personalization to make sure that every customer was treated differently within yeah. the muse ecosystem and they have mm-hmm. over 40 luxury brands uh, some of which uh you know were a bit reluctant to come on board at the beginning And I think, you know, these type of programs take time to truly build themselves and become truly profitable. So I think, uh, I think they've done, they've had a really, really, really interesting journey and kickoff and they have a new team now. And I'm really confident that they will truly stand out and differentiate themselves from other programs in the future. For sure. Thank you for that background, Maria. Um, I didn't know about Zayed Sports City, so I'll definitely go and explore that. I tend to feel, in fact, that sports is an up and coming vertical where loyalty programs are becoming uh, more mainstream, um, which is quite, I think, surprising to a lot of loyalty professionals who listen to this show, because as you already said, sometimes there's the assumption that the sport itself and my fandom, for example, like just being a fan or being passionate about doing a sport might be enough already. But I do think loyalty is a differentiator. So I'm delighted to hear that they were already seeing that quite early. And I think in general, Paula, clubs did it very well with their debenture program, especially on the football side. Yeah, Um, And I think they start to build their fandom and their fan base at a very young age. So you're a diehard fan of a football club since you're born and you probably follow your father favorite club and who follows their grandfather or their town or their city but yeah like you said you know there's a lot more now and perhaps in different types of sports whether it's paddle so a very very up-and-coming yeah. sport and I, we, we've seen there it's incremental growth in this part of the world started in spain obviously and the fact that you know people could also be going after price and yeah. uh, and experience as well so if somebody else can offer them a better rate on their court hire or on something else you know they're switchers when it comes to that so it also depends on the type of sports and how long you've been a fan yeah. of a place um but yeah. yeah you're absolutely right i think what a great differentiator and if totally. they manage 
to nail how they structure the program, I think it could truly become yeah. uh, uh, a real reason to actually yeah. stick to a place or or uh, or a team. Yeah. And you mentioned the word profitability as well, Maria. So I'll get onto that one in a second because, you know, everybody, I think, listening to this show again is like, oh my God, how do we measure it? How do we prove it? How do we really do that justification piece? So, and I know that applies to all forms of marketing, but what I like about your experience is that you've had it at the CMO level. So a lot of people listening to this show, for example, are, you know, probably operating at the program level, maybe have to justify spend to uh, CMOs and CFOs, of course. So the more justification we can kind of support them with, um, the better. Um, But before we move on, what I wanted to just um, first of all say is, of course, Majid Al-Futame and the Shalhoub Group, you know, for our listeners, for example, in the United States, in the UK, in Australia, you know, I guess there's very um, different market dynamics in the UAE, particularly, um, and in fact, across the whole Gulf region, where there are these incredible, like enormous holding groups, um, where there are, as you said, perhaps 40 brands. And how do you create a loyalty proposition when you don't even have an existing brand that you can leverage to educate people? So I want to, I suppose, acknowledge that uh, Majid Al-Futame and the SHARE program have have done an exceptional job and Kashmira has promised to come on this show. So we'll definitely have her at some point. Maybe this episode will give her another uh, reminder that we're <laughs> very excited to hear the, the SHARE program a few years in. But they've definitely nailed something that, as you said, um, plenty of, of retail brands in this market have not succeeded at. And with the Muse program, as you said, from the Shaloub Group, another beautiful proposition. And we did have Muse on the show uh, in their early days. Uh, So we hope to have them back on in the future to hear about how they're evolving. So I think that's our kind of masterclass in loyalty in the UAE through the the lens of Maria Gideon. So thank you for that. A little bit of an oversight. So tell us about what you're doing now, Maria, because I think it's a fascinating proposition. Um, Hot off the presses, I'm going to say, in terms of the new company that you're focusing on for uh, marketing requirements again across this whole region. So tell us a bit about your, your latest venture. So uh, in December, I, I launched a non-traditional consultancy company. We're a collective of former C-level executives that come together to support clients solve problems or, or challenges in their journey. So we primarily focus on design, uh, growth and transformation uh, and design sustainable uh, strategies, capabilities and brands in in five key industries we want to focus on. And and these are retail, entertainment, destinations, uh, hospitality and uh, food uh, as a whole. And, and, And these are primarily where our capabilities lie and it can go all the way from building a new brand or a new store to acquiring a another player so we can do anything from yeah design to MA to transactions to if it's part of the, your growth agenda while infusing sustainability and ESG and kind of protecting the the planet and and our proposition is that we aim to attract and retain really the the most exceptional 
advisors globally uh, with the with flexible work and you know the opportunity to be able to work from anywhere you are not required to be in this part of the world to serve clients from this part of the world so we're pretty much global Uh, 50% of our advisors are a little bit everywhere in the world we have advisors in Australia in New York uh, in London in Paris in Spain in Turkey so in Lebanon so we're we're a a very uh, diverse uh, diverse team Mm -hmm. and uh, so we were born in Dubai we have an office in Denmark and uh, and we use really data and customers at the heart mm-hmm. of everything. So uh, design thinking uh, is used across all of our frameworks mm-hmm. and we use a very human-centric uh, approach to deliver our mm. informed uh, our informed uh, advice, basically. So this is it in a nutshell. Amazing. Uh, we're very passionate about sustainability, like you've said, yeah. and ESG. And in a survey that we ran uh, during our launch, 85% of CEO in the UAE and Saudi said that sustainability tops the board agenda, yeah. but very few actually had a plan. Uh, okay. And only 1% thought that it was a, it was actually a catalyst for growth. So wow. I feel like there's a lot of education that we need to uh, do in this part of the world, proving why a sustainable brand could drive real loyalty uh, amongst audiences, yeah. uh, not just in the future, but mm. from now. I think the future is now. So Yeah, yeah. And we'll definitely get into exactly exploring that now. But before we do, what I really like about your collective is this idea of C-suite on demand. And I think you described to me last time, it's almost like the the Fiverr.com, but of, um, yeah, C-suite executives. So Exactly, like C-suite as a service. (laughs) Okay. I love that. Exactly. So I think the way it works is uh, clients come to us with their case or their challenge. And then, uh, you know, using some filters and the data that we have uh, on our current advisors, as well as what they've achieved in their lifetime, we put together the most efficient and effective team for our clients, making sure that we're delivering on, you know, on their requirements uh, in the most efficient, but also creative way. Because often... You know, some transferable skills get lost in translation or people with creative skills don't necessarily get included in strategic decision making. Uh, And we found that often when you have a creative director or a CXO on uh, on one of the projects, even if it's not necessarily a creative challenge Mm. or a creative brief, they always have a different way of seeing things. And and that's why, you know, yeah. we kind of try to inject a little bit more creativity, yeah. experience and all things customer in our problem solving approach. Amazing. And and what I like about your approach as well, Maria, is it's not um, pure consultants coming from a consulting background. You know, this practitioner, C-suite practitioner expertise is actually, to me, the game changer because there are plenty of consulting firms in the world. But to have somebody who's actually been there, done that, and we've often said it about loyalty, particularly because we're so specialized. And I know you're bringing some um, loyalty expertise into the collective as well, so that as and when clients come to you with requirements globally, which I think is super exciting, you'll be able to bring, I suppose, the the relevant loyalty expert, you know, to come in and maybe give an external perspective for these cases. Yeah. 
That's absolutely correct. And I think, uh, you know, the, the council is informed and we will always use data, but our experience hands-on in an operation in corporate also means that what all of the advice that we're giving to our clients has yeah. been tried and tested and that, you know, we have a, a different approach that is a little bit more simplified because we don't necessarily want to complicate the the message or our decks or our our council and we make sure that everything that we recommend is achievable mm -hmm. in a short amount of time and our longer term goal is to make our clients autonomous and stay in their lives as advisors and just have quick checkpoints yeah. so we don't have to hold their hands longer yeah. term because if we haven't given them the right strategy the right capabilities the capabilities mm. and the right training it means that we kind of failed somewhere so we, we don't want to be a drug we okay. kind of want to be <laughs> oh, we nice. want to empower them to kind of yeah. have all of the right tools to yeah. make their own informed decisions in the future Super. Yeah. And sometimes you just need that feeling, I suppose, that somebody's got your back, that you can almost kind of go, OK, got the strategy. Now I'm ready to execute, you know, almost sense checking back as well to an external perspective to make sure, first of all, I suppose that you've got global best practice in mind and make sure you haven't missed anything from conceptualizing the strategy through to actually operationalizing and pressing go. So I think that's super useful. I like that you've described it as you don't want to be the drug. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but <laughs> no, totally. It's a global podcast. We we exactly. say pretty much anything that we believe in, let's say, rather than anything Great. at all. <laughs> Love it. So, so tell me more about the research, Maria. Um, I guess, you know, my perspective on sustainability is it 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 was high profile and then the pandemic i think unfortunately probably damaged a lot of um the attention that brands were paying to their sustainability agenda so i definitely feel like um it's something that has been uh something that we're all aware of for a very long time both as individual consumers with our own kind of lifestyle in mind and of course as business leaders but I feel like it's dropped off the the, the priority list and, and is slowly recovering its perspective. And the fact that you're hearing it from your clients in this piece of research as something that they're very much focused on as a C-suite agenda, but it almost sounds like they don't know why. Is that, uh, am I am I hearing that correctly from you? Uh I wouldn't necessarily say they, they don't know why. I think everybody understands that that's going to substantially you know, improve the way we live on this planet in in the longer in the longer term. I think the bigger issue is that they're not sure how they're not sure how they can make an impact and what they need to put in place in order for them to get there. And there's so much greenwashing and so much outsourcing yeah. of sustainability uh, sustainability uh, uh, initiatives that I think brands need to be a lot more conscious with the way that they talk about these programs. And I think transparency is is surely key in the success of, of their programs. And there's no harm in saying we're at the beginning of our journey and we have a vision, we have yeah. a North Star, we have an ambition, and then slowly, you know, putting a plan in place. But I think, you know, 12 months from now is too late. You know, COP28 is, is going to be here in the UAE and you can see how much ex excitement there is and how much 
organizations are willing to put into their sustainable agendas. But you have a point, you know, with the global recession, supply chain disruptions, uh, with with you know the way the world is going economically, yeah. it's always easy to say sustainability is not a priority on my agenda today. My top and bottom line is, and I think hence why only mm. 1% of people surveyed thought sustainability was actually a catalyst for growth. Yeah, that's super worrying. And I'm guessing, um, well, first of all, I'm, I'm assuming that research was kind of Gulf, uh, so this region uh, focus, because I know that's your, your geographical area of focus. But my sense is that that is also a global concern that you know, that, that the ESG intentions, I believe, are well-intentioned. So I'm not saying that that, that there's no uh, business leaders that don't feel and understand the need. But as we've said, you know, there's so many other things. They're under pressure from shareholders to drive the growth agenda. And, you know, with the PR benefits, of course, of ESG, that's one kind of um, reason to invest and focus. However, there may be other things that they believe are, are more crucial, more urgent, more demanding of their time and attention. So um, my sense is that everybody, um, yes, appreciates uh, everybody wants to. But as you said, maybe then it's the how is the problem to, to bring the solutions to market. And it's actually, again, one of the reasons I wanted you on the show, Maria, because I feel that the loyalty professionals who listen to this show can absolutely be those drivers because we've got the data. We can, first of all, perhaps, you know, you know, go and source the research to prove that the consumer expectations are aligned with this as a business objective. But then also a bit like Etihad Guest, as we talked about earlier, they can identify levers and drive behavior change that is aligned with sustainability. Would that yeah. be would that be fair to say? Absolutely. So Paula, 80% of consumers are changing their habits based on ASG and, and, and social and responsibility and inclusiveness. And I think wow. I, I if I remember correctly, over 66% of consumers are ready to pay more for yeah. a sustainable brand. Yeah. So that to me alone means so much when it comes to brand loyalty, because this is how you can become uh, or build your differentiator, your PODs or your points of differentiation. Yeah. Uh, there's also this feeling of content. Mm -hmm. So when you do purchase something that is a bit more sustainable and then you're less harmful to the environment and the planet, yeah. you know, you know, that emotional feeling that you get while connecting to a brand amplifies because a lot of people make decisions mm -hmm. based on emotions, right? And I think 64% yeah. uh, of consumers feel happier buying a sustainable product, which yeah. means a lot for loyalty. And the way I position it often is that sustainability or ESG, just like customer experience or omni-channel is not a department. It really yeah. needs to be cascaded down the, across the organization, yeah. infused through an operating model. It's okay to have a transformation office or a chief sustainability officer to drive the agenda and be the voice of sustainability. But it's ultimately the responsibility of the entire organization to own it. Mm -hmm. And if there are no KPIs in place, at a corporate level that ensure that these leaders are delivering on the sustainability agenda, mm. then I feel like it's not going to move uh, at a pace that is going to be yeah. uh, fast enough to make an impact quickly enough. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, you're right in COP28. Um, and I don't know the timing, forgive me, Maria, but it is coming to Dubai. It's extremely high profile. I guess it's it's focusing this region's attention very much on the agenda in a way that's never happened before. W- would you agree? Absolutely. It's uh, at the end of November. So from Thank the you. 30th of November to the 12th of December. Okay, incredible. And you mentioned KPIs as well, Maria. Um, And I remember last time we spoke, you did make a distinction I really liked between those corporate KPIs. And again, I know you've got the corporate background and understand that that's the language that we have to talk. But also, I think coming from your passion and your CMO uh, positioning within those organizations, you did, uh, I suppose, adopt your own um, acronym, let's say, about customer KPIs or Pardon me, consumer PIs. Is that what you call them? CPIs? Uh, customer performance indicators. So okay, CPIs. Got it. <laughs> yeah. I think this was a term that was first used by Accenture uh, okay. in an HBR review. And it's not rocket science, it's just measuring things when it comes to the actual customer and not necessarily when it comes to the organization. So when you look at performance, SLAs, bottom line, top line, retention frequency. This is the impact that a program has on the company. It's Mm. not exactly measuring the value that it adds to the customer, whether it's how much time they save, whether it's how much money they save, whether it's how much better their experience is. So instead of measuring things in the perspective of a company, wow, we need to start measuring things in the perspective of a customer. And I think this truly means that companies are embracing a customer-centric mindset across the org. Uh, When these these become uh, measures of success in a boardroom and, you know, your president or your CEO asks you questions about how much, how many more customers have we pleased or how many more customers, you know, have enjoyed the experience shopping with us or have enjoyed using our product. So I think it's a bit more about yeah. how you make your customers feel versus how your company is performing. Yeah. And it's 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 fair to keep both, obviously. It, it doesn't mean that totally. it's one or the other, but you know, yeah. ignoring ignoring how you treat a customer and what that means for them yeah. is not necessarily mean that, you know, you're actually measuring the right thing. But like I like I'm 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 really impressed with that. Now I have to say there's very few acronyms, <laughs> first of all, <laughs> that actually make instant sense. Um, but given that again, I suppose we are entirely here to talk about creating that emotion of loyalty. Like we we don't come on this show and say we have to talk about points and and discounts and prizes and all of the things that loyalty programs do. But for me, if I was sitting listening to this show and listening to what you're saying, I would actually be reframing my KPIs to CPIs. And 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 I think that's almost maybe the the bottom up um, approach, or maybe it is top down perspective where, as you said, it's one thing to have the perspective of what's working for the organization, but coming from a place of integrity, which I know is super valuable and, and it's, it's core value to you, it's also my top value, to actually have CPIs to me would be transformational for any company if they actually made that shift. Exactly. And I I hope that this encourages people to look at things with a different lens and a different perspective. Yeah. Uh, again, there it's not a one size fits all approach. It depends on 
what they're trying to achieve. It could be that they just, you know, want people to wait a, a smaller amount of time on the phone with call center or whether their yeah. deliveries should be a lot faster or not necessarily faster, but, you know, their last mile deliveries should may, maybe be adapted to what they want. Because often yeah. what companies end up doing is a blanket approach and they think that a 90 minute delivery within Dubai is going to be suited to me when mm -hmm. I'm working full time and there's nobody to accept my package if it arrives within 90 minutes. So I think yeah. it's a matter of really understanding your customers intrinsically well. And I yeah. think it's one thing that I say all the time is just is ask your customers explicitly, know them intimately and truly put them at you know, the center of every decision that you make, because, yeah. you know, often we think about the tech first, or we think about a process first, and these come at the expense of a good customer experience, which in turn drive, yeah. are supposed to drive loyalty, but have the opposite effect. And we've seen that with a lot of, a few giants in this part of the world where, you know, they've lost a significant amount of customers because, yeah. You know, they couldn't they couldn't do things in a in a yeah. good enough way that was yeah suited for customers. Absolutely. And every customer is different, as you've said before many times. So yeah, sometimes we say our region is different, our company is different, our, our culture is different, but but every person is different. So I like that word intrinsically. I think what it shows is that you are a marketeer through and through, Maria. Um, so um, yeah, the final bit I wanted to just touch on briefly was, I suppose, to go back to the beginning, uh, the Marketing Society that I joined recently and uh, definitely feel I I'm remiss in having waited so long because the UAE chapter of the Marketing Society has done some extraordinary work, even in the few months that I've been involved. So maybe just for people listening, I know there are um, chapters in various cities around the world. So maybe we just touch on um, your history, I suppose, with the Marketing Society. So I've been with, I think I was member number within within the first 10, I must say. Amazing. I've attended yeah. the, the first event was at the Burj Khalifa. I lived in Abu Dhabi at the time. Yeah. It was called the Uncomfortable Breakfast and it was at eight o'clock in the morning. So I had to drive from Abu Dhabi at 6.30 in the morning to attend my first event. Yeah. And I was a very vocal member. <laughs> uh, and it was also, uh, you know, a board that was, was still storming and forming. And um, it was a, a very uh, male dominated board because there weren't a lot of uh, women uh, in this marketing C-suite. So uh, very quickly, um, we, we, we kind of, joined forces and I, I actually became a, a board member of this phenomenal uh, organization and institution. And the UAE is one of the fastest growing markets. Uh, we have phenomenal stories. We have over 300 members and uh, we now have a couple of full-time people based here. Mm -hmm. uh, which is fantastic. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, Sophie, uh, the new CEO is extremely inspirational. She's a published author and she is also a brand builder and a marketer yeah. through and through at heart. Uh, yeah. And I think we aim to kind of bring together uh, the senior marketing community, uh, yeah. build, you know, bolder and braver leaders and uh, also kind of make sure that 
the the younger generation is is ready for the challenges of of you know becoming yeah. CMOs and I know uh, a few young uh, budding marketers who have been uh, accepted to our youth pro or, or our development program which is truly phenomenal and I think yeah. there's an agenda of this almost one at least one event a month is a the entire year culminates in an annual conference that has global speakers that is truly outstanding yeah and I'm very very passionate about our cause and and why we exist yeah and you know, I encourage anyone listening to check it out. We have chapters in uh, New York, in India, in you know several places in Asia, in uh, London, yeah. uh, London being the biggest. And uh, we soon have our awards in March. Mm-hmm. So if you, you haven't entered the awards yet, I encourage you to do that because this is one of the few places where great work can be celebrated. So I encourage people to, yeah. you know, submit all of the amazing work that they've had uh, in the last year yeah. to truly like celebrate all of the great things that they've done. Absolutely. And I think you're right to emphasize both ends of the spectrum, I suppose, in terms of expertise, Maria, because I'm thrilled that two of my team for Let's Talk Loyalty as junior marketeers are uh, part of the upcoming Marketing Society chapter and the UAE scholarship. So we're thrilled to bits. Uh, But I guess the reason I joined was I wanted to have those senior conversations. So, you know, what I dearly hope to be able to do is spend more time both with the UAE chapter, but also the UK and there has been some extraordinary insights and research and all these kind of things published, which are um, certainly valuable to me. So um, yeah, definitely encourage everybody to make sure that they do check out the Marketing Society. Um, so listen, Maria, that is all I wanted to ask you today. Um, really enjoyed your perspectives on loyalty and your very exciting career and um, definitely will be super excited to see how this collective of C-suite executives grows over time. So do you have any other kind of parting words of wisdom that you want to leave our audience with? I think I've said enough throughout, but, you know, except for really understanding who your customers are and infusing as much sustainability in what you do and experimenting to make sure that you're driving the innovation agenda. I think these are my three biggest takeaways from my from my roles uh, uh, as a marketer. Uh, and yeah, I absolutely love this podcast. Uh, thank you for for creating it and for being so innovative in the way you actually talk and, and bring loyalty to the table. I feel like it has the right mix of education, but also, you know, a few, uh, a lot of in- inspiring leaders in that space. So uh, thank you for yeah being one of the first to drive that and uh, bringing us together. So just thank you very much. You're very welcome. So Maria Gedeon, Chief Executive Officer and Founder of Gedeon Moore and Partners. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 500 executives in 38 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thank you so much.
so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.